This episode of PF's Tape Recorder is brought to you by Home Shirts Cleveland. For all of your Northeast Ohio vintage t-shirt needs, visit homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. You'll also find links to the original Cincy Shirts site, as well as Home Shirts Indianapolis, with more cities to come. That's homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. Now, on with the show. Hey, it's Chris Porter from Last Comic Standing, you know, the season from 1957. You listen to PF's Tape Recorder, dig it. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Sarah Colonna gets chummy on Twitter with a famous fashion model. Sports writer or something wrote me and was like, you know, I don't I don't think she's ever going to respond to you, just letting you know. And I was like, no, she's not supposed to ever respond to me, that would ruin it. This is- we'll hear more from Sarah in just a bit. You see, we have the hottest record in the world coming up, but it's not the hottest record in the world anymore. It's the Song of the Week, which is kind of a dull name, but an apt description of what it is. And uh, it's still going to be very exciting, of course, because we'll be exposing you to some new and cool music. Fake news still taking the summer off, but we do have a special edition of, well, not a special edition, but just a, a, well, it is kind of a special edition of It's Facebook, Not Factbook. Let's get to that. Time for another edition of... It's Facebook, not Factbook. So there I am strolling through the face page, and I come across uh, this interesting little meme. You know, memes, I, I love the memes because, you know, they're just they're, they're mostly BS. And uh, it's a picture, it's a two-part meme. On the top, it's the Confederate flag, and it says, if you pull this down because it offends you, and on the bottom is another picture of uh, two black teenagers uh, with doing that thing where they got the shorts pulled down and the boxers kind of coming up a little bit out of the out of the shorts and it says then pull these up because it offends me and of course all kind of people are liking it a guy I know from high school posted it all kind of people are liking it going yeah yeah good friend and so I tell them you you know this this isn't the same thing at all and I know there's been a lot of controversy about this but two teenagers making what can be at worst described as a silly looking fashion mistake is not at all the same as 300 years of history of unspeakable brutality and prejudice and blatant racism it's just not the problem is, I think, that people are having with this is that the Confederate flag, particularly after World War II, uh, is kind of not, I wouldn't say co-opted, but it's like, like I had head go all Nazi on you, but that's the only other comparison I can come up with, is the Nazi flag is always the Nazi flag, no matter what. Even in Hogan's Heroes, when they're silly Nazis, you, you still understand what that means. Uh, the Confederate flag after World War II, particularly in this country, uh, it, it starts to sneak its way in, into popular culture. And we have a, a, a radio personality here in Cincinnati called Mike McConnell. And when this controversy kind of started back in the 90s, when people started rethinking the Confederate flag, he would say, oh, when I grew up, the Confederate flag just meant you liked Leonard Skinner. And he's from Philadelphia. And you could think, well, you can understand that. The Dukes of Hazard, of course, famously have it on top of their car, the General Lee. And, you know, in, in that timeline, you know, people kind of took it to mean things uh, that the Southern, not necessarily the, the bad part of the Southern, the you know, the, the racism and all that part of the, the Southern uh, culture that we had back in the 1800s and so forth. But, you know, so it kind of it kind of found its way into the culture that way. But I think the thing is, you can't forget that even though the, the Duke boys meant no harm. We discussed that before. Leonard Skinner aren't racist. They didn't mean any harm. But you can't, at the end of the day, you got to walk that back and say, well, yeah, but it, it, that's this flag does mean something. It is a flag of treason, and it is a flag of racism. Even if you are slapping on top of your car and just, you know, meaning it to symbolize stuff you do in the South. Although, if you think about it, there isn't really anything that you do in the South that you don't do in any other part of the country, you know, as far as going fishing, driving old cars, or, you know, anything like that. And, you know, governments especially, if you want to fly the Confederate flag, you know, knock yourself out, you know. The people will think, you know, you show people what you are, 
that's fine. Uh, but governments, especially the government of South Carolina, should not be flying it on government property because they were the ones that started the whole thing. And it shouldn't be on license plates or anything that's government endorsed because, you know, they're not promoting the Dukes of Hazard, Leonard Skinner when they're flying that thing uh, as a whole different meaning. OK. All right. So that's exhibit A. Then I uh, scroll down a little further and I see you might have seen this. Uh, this has been around for a couple of years. It's a picture of this old army veteran. It says uh, I'll read the whole thing to you real quick. An 83 year old army veteran arrived in Paris by plane as he was fumbling in his bag for his passport. A stern French customs agent asked if he had been to France before. Can you see where this is leading? He admitted that he had been previously. The lady sarcastically said, then you should know that you should have your passport ready, sir. Uh, the gentleman said, well, I didn't have to show it the last time. And uh, impossible. I'm doing my little phony French accent for you there to help this out. The custom agent said, all foreigners always have to show a passport when they enter this country. I had the disease in there. They actually just put the... The man responded by whispering, well, when I came ashore on the beaches on D-Day 1944, I couldn't find any effing Frenchman to show it to. Yeah, take that oldest ally we've never gone to war with. So this comes from uh, an email that was floating around a couple of years ago. Uh, there actually was two of them. One was all bashing France for some unknown reason. And the other one was uh, had a whole bunch of other stories, some of which were true, some of which were uh, made up. And as far as I can tell, this one is made up. It's a kind of a funny joke, I guess. Um, but it's uh, it's not true. It, it didn't really happen. Of course, all kind of people are liking it and going crazy about it. But um, yeah, it didn't happen. Uh, in fact, uh, not only did it not happen, but it's based on uh, some BS because you might think to yourself, oh, there's sodding French. They don't, they, don't, they don't appreciate nothing, man. We went over and saved their butts, which, you know, we did. Uh, but if you uh, do some looking up, I don't have any audio on this, but uh, let, here's something from the Huffington Post. And what does it say here? It says that on the 70th anniversary of D-Day, a grateful ally remembers, that grateful ally being France, of course, Boston Globe, 65 years after D-Day, this is from 2009, Normandy's gratitude toward U.S. has not faded. And that was 2009, but I still don't think it's faded. In fact, I watched nightly news over the summer, and they showed uh, some of the American troops there going back and visiting the beaches at Normandy and all the French hugging them and everything and thanking them and recalling how grateful they were that the Americans, and, and of course the British and the Canadians were there too as well. Let's not forget that. Let's not take all the credit. It was a joint operation, of course, and there were some French there too. Uh, some of the resistance uh, showed up as well. All right, so you're probably saying to yourself, yeah, but you know, look, PF, you're always picking on the conservatives and their memes. And I got to tell you, man, they are not batting very well, though. There was, uh, in a, uh, but to be fair, there was this uh, one, but my wife's friend posted, uh, it shows Jeb Bush, and he says that uh, uh, apparently that uh, invading Iraq turned out to be a, a pretty good idea. And uh, and then it lists all the reasons why it wasn't the cost and, and men and uh, and women and civilians and uh, and the and the cost dollar wise trillions and trillions of dollars. And I thought, well, he he probably didn't say that. He uh, wait what? I'll tell you though that taking out Saddam Hussein turned out to be a pretty good deal. Oh oh, he he really did say that. Okay, well hmm, we got to watch out. Just just be aware, kids, that you know sometimes it it is and sometimes it's not. But mostly when you see these things. Uh, you know, in your social media. Always remember. It's Facebook, not Factbook. Sarah Colon is a stand-up comedian, actress, and comedy writer, probably best known for her work on Chelsea Lately. Here now is our interview with Sarah Colonna. Okay, joining us on PF Tape Recorder, it's Sarah Colonna. Sarah, how you doing? 
I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Um, this is the first time we've spoken. It's always nice to, to speak to a, a comedian I've never spoken to before, although um, I just heard you recently on Jimmy Pardo's podcast, Never Not Funny. Oh, yeah. I know. It's such a great podcast. I had so much fun. Uh, he, that sounds he's the best. It sounded like a blast. Um, yeah, learned learned a lot uh, actually, but uh, but st- but still, so many unanswered questions, I guess, <laughs> about Sarah. Okay. <laughs> um, so I guess you you grew up in Germany, right? Well, no, I was I was born there, but I, I only lived there for two years uh, oh, okay. as a baby, so I don't really oh, I see. remember any of it. My dad was in the Air Force. So. Oh, okay, okay, and then you so you moved to the U.S. and then where did you grow up in the U.S.? I grew up in Arkansas. Actually. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just through there for the first time uh, over uh, uh, spring break. We went down to see my brother-in-law in Texas, and we had to drive through Arkansas. And uh, it's a lot flatter than I had imagined. I thought it was all, like, hilly and, you know. Well, I guess, yeah, it depends on what part you're in. But there are, where I grew up, the Ozark Mountains are there. So okay, it's yeah. Very, uh, there's, yeah, it's, but it's, it's beautiful, definitely. But there are definitely parts of it that are flat, too, and. You know, it's, it's it's a great place to drive through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh, we stopped in Hope, Arkansas, and got gassed, and I realized. And then they had there's there's a sign, of course, that Bill Clinton is from there, and I believe Mike oh yeah Huckabee is from. They have there. a watermelon festival there every year. Oh, oh or okay. used to anyway. I yeah. did not know that. Wow, <laughs> a little known fact. There you go. So so growing up, are you like are you interested in comedy? Or are you just a funny kid, and people think, well, you should be on a stage someday? Or how does the interest in comedy come uh, about? I just always wanted to do it. Yeah, I don't really have a good, um, you know. I wish I had like a moment where I could tell people that it, I just wanted to do it. But I just always grew up wanting to do it, so it was just always. I just always wanted to act and do stand up, and so for some reason, it never got out of my head. Oh. Nobody was ever able to discourage me. <laughs> was it from like watching TV, or did you perform with friends and you know, kind of do? things like that no i just wanted to do it i don't know <laughs> i wish i like i said i wish i had an answer it was just i was just like when i was five i was like i'm gonna be uh, a comedian and i'm gonna be on tv and i'm gonna act and my mom was like okay <laughs> so in college there was no other career path or did you just take something just to take something as a major and or i, I know i majored in theater okay i, made, I got a bachelor of arts and, yeah oh, okay. so i got a i I committed to it fully. <laughs> okay, there you go. And uh, the the parents were supportive, or were they a little weary of the uh, the theater major thing? Uh, very very supportive, actually. I was very lucky. They uh, they encouraged me, and they would come see shows that I was in in college. And um, you know, I think at one point when I was getting frustrated when I was living um, out in California by myself and you know struggling to make it and and to work, my mom was the one who was like. You didn't do all this for nothing, basically. So she she wouldn't even let me give up if I wanted to. So that was good. So when did stand-up come into it? Because if you're doing a lot of acting, you know, I know a lot of, I've heard a lot of comedians that started as theater majors say, oh, the like an acting teacher or director came to them and said, hey, you know, you would really be good uh, doing stand-up. In some cases, they've said you'd, you'd, be do, you'd be better doing stand-up than doing acting. How did your exposure to stand-up come? Uh, mine was just that I, uh, like I said, I just always wanted to do it. And then when I'm, you know, we didn't have, there was nowhere to do it in Arkansas at the time. When I was in college, we didn't have any comedy clubs or uh, open mics or anything where I was living. So I just had to figure out, I just started doing open mics when I moved to Los Angeles. Okay. Um, after I lived here for like two years. So I just started like looking in the back of the, you know, weekly weeklies that show you where all the stand up. Uh, spots are and you know you go to coffee shops and then you start meeting other comedians and you guys all start going together so get yourself like a little group but 
that was kind of what I did. I just sort of had to fumble my way through um, the Los Angeles scene of it. Okay. So you chose Los Angeles because you were interested more in movies and television as opposed to saying, oh, a lot of people go to New York and try to break into theater or maybe even to Chicago to do you know improv and theater? No, I picked, uh, no, I picked Los Angeles because my dad lived uh, out here. So oh, I okay. grew up coming out to California, and I just really liked California. I, I pictured myself on uh, more of a West Coast person. So oh, between go. New York and Los Angeles, I felt like L.A. And then I thought, well, you know, especially he doesn't live in L.A., but he lives in, in Palm Springs. But I was like, well, at least I'll have some sort of family base somewhere in the state, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. Um, too. But mostly uh, it's just, yeah, for some reason I just always had my heart set on, on L.A. So when you're first trying stand-up, you're also auditioning at the same time for stuff? Yes, yeah, for everything. Um, you know, mostly commercial work is what you get first, and so I did a few commercials. But, you know, it's bartending and doing... Um, open mics and auditioning for your commercials and uh, then I started working on a camera show called Air Tactics for a while which was um, probably my first sort of steadier job because they would hire me like once or, or sometimes even twice a week for um, a few months which was really fun and um, yeah I just sort of kept doing all that and kept doing stand up and um, I did a Comedy Central uh, called a show called Premium Blend on Comedy yeah. Central which was a stand up show um, that isn't on anymore, but it was where they used to showcase, you know, stand-ups yeah. for like mm -hmm. five minutes each. Yep, and that was that. probably the first TV stand-up thing that I did. And did it take a while for you to develop your voice as a comedian, or did you kind of have an idea of, you know, what you thought was funny and what kind of direction you wanted to go in? Well, it takes a while. You definitely find the things that you think are funny when you're about to start out are less funny than you think <laughs> when you say them out loud. So yeah. it takes definitely takes a while. I mean, I, I always have had a sense of who I am and a good sense of humor about myself, but um, it takes a while to figure that out for sure. Like what, you know, I guess I always told pretty honest um, jokes about myself and stuff, so I had a pretty good sense of that. But it definitely takes a while to figure out um, what, what audiences are going to relate to more um, as you go. Um, so I'm curious, I've interviewed probably a ton of people that have worked on Chelsea lately, especially now that it's gone off uh, the air and they're, they're, everyone's touring now. But I've, I've failed to ask this. How did, did you get recruited for that show? Was it, or did everybody have to maybe have a different story? Did, did she approach you personally after seeing you or the producers, or did, is this something you applied for, auditioned for? I just, how did that show get put together? You know, the, uh, the guy that books the show, um, that would book the comedians, is a big uh, fan of comedy. So he spent a lot of time in clubs, and um, uh. and he would be comedians, and he would suggest them for the show. But uh, Chelsea, obviously, also, as a comedian herself, knew uh, a lot of comedians. And so she would suggest, you know, to try to, you know, she could only, especially at the beginning, she could only suggest that we get on the show and, and yeah. be tried out, you know, do do one episode and see how it goes. And then if you don't, if you don't do well, you don't really get to come back. So, and I had known her for a long time. So when, um, I don't, you know, I'm sure she was the one that suggested them to reach out to me. And then when they did, luckily it went really well. So then I got to start coming back and the audience and I, you know, kind of connected and, and it went off well. So I, I got to start coming back regularly. And then about a year after that, they asked me to become a full-time writer on the show. Oh. So really, I'd say, every, yeah, it's probably different for everyone, but for the most part, that um, well, you know, the guy who was booking the comedians in the round table and Chelsea, between the two of them, they, they knew a lot of comedians, and, and Michael, the guy that booked comedians, really kept himself 
uh, at the clubs and seeing who, who did well and who was up and coming and who he thought would be good for the show because just because you did stand-up doesn't necessarily mean you'd be great on the round yeah, table. Exactly. Um, so he had a really good eye for that. So he, he definitely helped a lot of people get on that show too. So once you're working on the show, did it kind of have like a, a symbiotic relationship to your comedy? Did you like start doing things maybe a little bit differently or following other things more than others or writing jokes a certain way or was your stand-up your stand-up and the show was the show? Stand-up, stand-up, the show is the show for okay. sure. I, I, we did, we did um, some, you know, we do topical stuff on the show and entertainment stuff and whatnot. So um, it was fun and different it was a different i hadn't really been in that world i didn't you know i mean i every once in a while you keep up with all the stuff you need to keep up with obviously so that people uh you know on stage and when you're talking to people and doing podcasts and whatnot you know what you're talking about but i wasn't a regular on like tmv and e online and all those things until the show and uh and you had to definitely keep up with all that stuff really well and since we did so much of that on the show i felt you know, when people come to see you from the show, it's nice for them to see you do something completely different than that. So I definitely keep my stand-up more personal. Okay. And so you get to flex a different muscle, I guess, then, because you get to comment on pop culture stuff, but then on stage you get to do, you know, more of your thing. Yeah, for sure. It was great, because you get to do that, and then write jokes for Chelsea, which was a, a whole different thing than writing them for yourself. So um, it was like you had a few muscles you got to flex, and, and that's, uh, that's a great thing. It was, I think it was a really um, great writing tools or you know people for people that are doing stand-up to get to do so many different um aspects of topics and whatnot yeah and now speaking of your personal life you are currently engaged yes yes okay yeah this is fascinating to uh to john ryan punter of the seattle seahawks yes that's right <laughs> and, right. yeah we got engaged in december okay and uh so how did how did you kids meet uh, it was a little crazy. He um, had actually, back when Chelsea lately was still on, he watched the show and he had seen me on there and then he approached another comedian from the show who's a big Seahawks fan. He was at the NFC Championship game last year, not this year, but last year, and yeah. he, um, it was, his name was Ross Matthews, and he approached Ross and he said, can you put in a good word with Sarah Cohen? I'd really like to meet her. And Ross got very excited because he was a big Seahawks fan and he, he was just like, just tweet her and I'll tell her. And then Ross wrote me and was like, this guy's going to write you and you better not ignore him. And we, <laughs> I didn't think much of it. I just thought it was like a, you know, a flirt or something. Um, but then it kind of continued and he was like, no, I actually really would like to meet you and take you out. And we ended up talking for a couple of months and then going out. And, um, and it was, uh, it was definitely a lot more than just a flirt. Just, you turn out going, Oh, this is the greatest guy. So it's a weird story. How we <laughs> ended up getting together. Yeah. But it worked out well. It really did. Now he's a hoser. Which I uh, didn't realize. Um, you might have mentioned that on uh, on Never Not Funny that uh, he is of Canadian descent. Yes, he's Canadian. That's yes. right. And uh, you, you'll need to tell him this. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Canadian Football League, where he started his career. Uh, one of oh those, yeah, he, yeah. Uh, Ameri- he uh, he is a you know he said it's not a, a lot of people that get from the CFL, I guess, into the NFL, but he definitely did, and it's huge there. It's, it's amazing. I went. It's uh, gotten um, better. Yeah. Yeah, I went with him to. Um, Saskatchewan, I would this where he's from, and I, I mean everybody's wearing gear yeah, and, yeah. and supporting their their team, and it's uh, the Rough Riders, I believe. Is yep, the, that is correct. Yeah, 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 and everybody's just sporting gear. Every, I mean, it looks like you're in Seattle and seeing everyone wearing Seahawks gear is the same thing. So it's pretty cool. I, I love that. Yeah, they're banging. There's uh, cowbells during the games and stuff. You can always tell the highlights are coming from Saskatchewan because you can hear the the uh, cowbells. 
right. no matter how low they keep the game audio, before every snap of the ball, the Arthur's clang, 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 clang. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping to get to go to a CFL game sometime. I think it would be really fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, actually, I did go to one once in Hamilton, Ontario. I saw the Tiger Cats play the Argonauts. And the best part was is that the Tiger Cat fans hated the Argonauts. And that was like the best part of the game was hearing them complain about the Argonauts. It was just, it was so brilliant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Big rivalry between the two cities, of course, because they're neighboring towns and Hamilton's kind of in Toronto's shadow. So, yeah. So, um, and then I guess you got to go to the Super Bowl. I did. I got to go this year. Uh, I went and I was sitting with his entire family, which was really, really fun. I mean, up until the very end, but it was yeah. it was really fun. It was a great experience. And um, it was really cool to get to see something like that in person. I had not been to a Super Bowl. And, um, you know, I'd been to many games uh, last season in, in Seattle mainly, So, uh, which is a great place to see a game. The fans are amazing and really, really really supportive of their team they get very excited so it's really cool um but this was definitely another level of, of an atmosphere to be in it's funny because everyone was texting me asking me how the halftime show was and i was like halftime show i didn't even watch it that's when i went and got beer because there were no lines there you, you know go. that was like <laughs> yeah I, I couldn't ever i didn't want to leave my seat during the game because you never know oh yeah, uh, yeah. what's gonna happen so oh, i had to wait till halftime and when i when it was halftime i was i was out of there i didn't see a second of the halftime show so, were you a football fan before at all, or did you follow the game? Or no, I was a big. I'm a big baseball fan. I've always been a sports fan. My dad was a sports editor, so I grew up um, ah. appreciating sports. So he's definitely and more knowledgeable probably than I would have been if he wasn't. Um, but I grew up a big baseball fan because when I would visit him in the summer, it was always baseball season. So ah, okay, and he was he was at the Orange County Register. So I'm a big Angels fan. I've always oh, okay, yeah. really just loved baseball, and as I've gotten older, I've appreciated it more. Um, football was just something I could, it could be on in the background, but I never followed it. And I never really was a person who understood it. So, um, I was definitely a little bit of the dumb girl when it came to punting. I didn't really quite understand, but now I, now I get it. And now, uh, I probably know more about punting than I ever thought I would. So that's good. (laughs) So, so so what kind of things you've learned about punting that maybe a, a lay person wouldn't know? Um, a lot of things like, you know, I guess one of the main things I learned, um, especially with John is that you know, they don't always want you to kick as far as you can kick. Yeah, there are times when they just oh, yeah. want you to kick it short, you know, right. kick it short, keep it safe, don't go too far. So if somebody kicks a 35-yard you know, yard punt, people will be like, well, I could kick it further than that, and they don't realize it's such an expertise to be able to keep it short when you're asked to keep it short. You know, he can yeah. boom away and make it 70 yards every time, but that's not always what they want. So it's really interesting to me because I didn't even – realize that something like that would come into play, but it is. You'd think they'd want it to get it as far down the field as they can, but sometimes they don't. They just want a safe kick with no return, and let's go, you know? Yeah, you want to hit that coffin corner, as they say, you know, not get it into the end zone. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, uh, what's what's your career like uh, now that you've left Chelsea? I guess like a lot of the folks, you're touring a lot. Um, what else is happening with you? Yeah, it's interesting, because I left about, I left as a writer a year before the show was ending. So I had already gone basically the minute I left there as a full-time writer, I was still on the round table the entire time up until the end. Um, but it was just sort of like, okay, you know, if you're going to, if the show's going to end in a year or so, it might be time to start figuring out what else you're going to do. So I left as a writer, I got another book deal right when I left. And then I went on the road pretty much right away then too, just because we got to go on the road when we were, full-time on the show, but not as much. Uh, they obviously want to do um, 
you know, at work. <laughs> so oh, yeah, uh, yeah. it was like, so instead, so it was kind of cool to get to go right back on the road. And then I had, I got a book deal. Um, and then I worked, um, I did a couple like a guest spots. I did a TV show called Battle Creek, uh, that was on CBS. Uh, it was a great show. And then I just heard it got canceled, which is a bummer, but my yeah. episode aired. So that's good. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so I did that show it's uh, like a detective drama and that was cool to get to do something different because it was like a serious role um, and so yeah I've just been working on that and not right now I'm on this book tour with my with my book and working on figuring out how to do something else with this book develop a TV show out of it um, and get it out there and so, see what but, happens and what's the book again I know you talked about this on Never Not Funny but I, I it slipped my mind what the uh, it, it's called Has Anyone Seen My Pants Okay, and it's my second. Yeah, it's my second book. So um, it came out March thirty first, and that's actually uh, where I'm doing in city to city right now. Is doing a, a book tour with stand up, and then I have the book afterwards. If people want to bring theirs, I'll sign it. If they want to buy one, I'll sign it, or you know whatever. So it's just kind of something right after the shows that I'm there doing as well. So uh, not doing Chelsea lately. Do you have like a, that itch you can't scratch, or have you found found another way to kind of? Uh to, to address it, or if you just, if is it just, you know, was it, you know, time to move on to other kinds of material? Yeah, I think just time to move on. I mean, it's like, you know, you, there's, tw- if you want to make some topical jokes, there's always Twitter. <laughs> That's true, um, yeah. But I just well, worked on this show called World's Funniest, which is a clip show on Fox. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cruise host. Yeah, um, I just worked on that, and we got, and it was kind of like a, a similar thing where you're doing a little bit of a panel with three comedians commenting on videos and stuff. So there's always stuff like that out there, I feel. I mean, Chelsea Lately was great. and It was like a family. You know, we all, everyone knew each other so well. So you kind of miss seeing everyone. But then we all see each other at these other jobs, it seems like, and, and around. And most people, we've all stayed in touch. So um, and do podcasts together and, and do a bunch of that stuff. So it's probably like missing missing the people more than anything. Um, and uh, But we, we all stay in touch. Uh, as you said, you mentioned, you know, there's always Twitter. I guess you had a, a fun Twitter exchange with uh, uh, Mrs. Tom Brady. I, is that is that accurate? Am I correctly? <laughs> it's a one-sided uh, Twitter exchange. It, for <laughs> some reason, really entertains me to tweet to Giselle because I know that, you know, somebody yeah. like her, there's no way she ever looks at her Twitter feed or, or reads, you know, messages to her or anything. So yeah. I, during the Super Bowl, it started where I was tweeting her to say, you know, so like, I'm at the Super Bowl too, girl, let's hang out. <laughs> and uh, it just became a thing where a lot of people, I just noticed, one day I saw something, I got like 2,000 retweets, and I was like, wow, people were really entertained by this. And it was entertaining me, so I was very glad it was entertaining other people. Yeah. Um, so I just sort of kept it up. And I think one person wrote me from, I don't know, the, like a sports writer or something wrote me and was like, you know, I don't I don't think she's ever going to respond to you, so <laughs> just letting you know. And I was like, no, she's not supposed to ever respond to me. That would ruin it. This is The joke is just me uh, writing her as if we're best friends and her completely ignoring me. So, yeah, I just, yeah, was, I just uh, entertained myself with it a little bit. Oh, yeah. That's, well, it's always fun to do that. You know, when you have an audience, you know, well, you guess you do have an audience yeah. in the Twitter sphere, but, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't really, they're not, it's not an immediate uh feedback like with stand-up so any other parts of show business you you want to conquer things you want to try that you haven't yet um you know with my first book i i sold uh, a tv show to adam sandler's company and then we sold it to nbc and it never it didn't make it on the air um but that's always something that's been uh you know a dream of mine and i think hopefully it'll it'll come true one day so i'm always cracking away at that getting you know my own show idea on the air um, so fingers crossed that that comes down the pipeline at some point. 
Well, terrific. Well, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad I got to talk to you. But when I um, when I saw that you were coming to Minneapolis and you'd just been on Never Not Fun, I was like, oh, great, because uh, I remembered your appearance. And I thought, this will be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm excited. I've never uh, performed in Minneapolis, so it'll okay. be fun. Well, I'm actually in Cincinnati. I only write for the paper in Minneapolis. So uh, we'll need to get you here okay. in Cincinnati as well. Yeah, I've been to the Funny Bone there, and, I, and I'm okay. sure I'll probably be back in the fall. So. Oh, awesome. Well, terrific. We'll kill two birds with one stone get you some ink down here as well. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Well, terrific. Well, uh, enjoy uh, the CFL game if you get to go to one this summer. They start in like the end of June, so hopefully before your husband has yeah. to go to training camp, you can we squeeze might one, one in. Yeah, terrific. Well, good talking to you, Sarah. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Sarah Colonna for being on the show. You can catch Sarah at the Funny Bone in Des Moines, Iowa, August 27th through the 29th. And then later in the fall, she will be at the Copa Palm Springs. That's September 19th. And the Funny Bone in Syracuse. Let me see, September 25th through the 27th. And then Hyenas in Fort Worth, October 29th through the 31st. And Hilarity is in Cleveland, November 5th through November 8th. For all Sarah Colonna information, go to sarahcolonna.com. Sarah is spelled with an H. Colonna has two N's in it. And that was a fun interview, wasn't it? Uh, Of course, her fiancé, who may now be her husband, I don't know when they're getting married, but uh, from the CFL, of course, that's right in my wheelhouse. Uh, uh, Former Saskatchewan Rough Rider, now Seattle Seahawk. And um, you remember Ian Bagg and I were discussing that, actually, that um, uh, Ian predicted that he would be the first kicker to throw a touchdown in an NFC Championship game. That was pretty funny. Anyway, um, so the usual credits here, of course, and uh, that actual interview took place a, a couple of months ago, so if there were some things that were uh, sounded odd, uh, I apologize. Like I said, I've been stockpiling these things all summer to make my life a little bit easier. But anyway, the usual credits, of course, um, original music composed and performed by Doug O'Connor and John Veropolis with a little help from me. Uh, like us on Facebook, PF Tape Recorder. Uh, follow me on Twitter at PF66. And let me see, uh, subscribe on iTunes, leave a review, you know, we let, let, let's get some churn going here. Tell your friends about it and all that fun stuff. Uh, let me see, what else? Uh, PS Tape Recorder logo designed by Dan Coble, of course. Not sure what the status of uh, Dan and Megan's podcast is, the one where they were discussing Arrow, but now we're going to discuss more, um, I guess, uh, uh, binge-worthy. <laughs> binge-worthy was a cringe-worthy, that's kind of funny. Uh, you know, binge-worthy TV shows that people are getting into. Uh, I will give you an update on that as soon as I can. In the meantime, we have arrived at the Song of the Week, the former hottest record in the world. Uh, started off as kind of a, a an homage, a humorous homage to BBC Radio 1, which I love. But I think we should probably come up with our own name for it. And a, a pretty descriptive but dull one, of course, is Song of the Week, because that's what it is. And the Song of the Week this week uh, comes to us from the Lone Bellow there from Brooklyn, New York. And I came across this actually via our friend Jim Lenahan over at Dad Rock. Uh, those guys were discussing the Lone Bellow because he saw them down at the uh, music festival they have down in Louisville, Kentucky uh, in the summer. So he uh, saw like the first aid and interviewed them. And I think he interviewed the Lone Bellow as well. Go over to Dad Rock and check that out at the USA Today. But um, the Lone Bellow, uh, kind of a rootsy, folky kind of situation going on. And uh, this song actually came out uh, at the end of last year in the fall. The album came out this spring. And the song is called Then Came Morning. And NPR was kind of on it for a little while. But I hadn't heard it. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. This is the Lone Bellow, Then Came Morning. And with this is the song of the week on PF Tape Recorder. So long and thanks for listening. Then came the morning. It was right. Like the light that you cut from your smile Then came the morning Like the flood from the storm that you cut from my heart
Your smile.